What's up, people? How you doing this morning? Good? Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Hey, we're getting right to business today, and uh, we're going to do this in a way where I need your participation, right? So sometimes I do all the talking, I like monologuing, but sometimes I need your help. And so I thought we'd have a little kind of pop quiz game this morning, which is finish that phrase. All right, that's my game I'm coming up with today. And, and some of these are going to be easy, some of these are going to be a little more challenging, but I think you can do it. So I'm going to read part of a phrase, and I just need you to fill in the back end of this to see if we're all on the same page as far as what we're doing today. So here's the first one. Looks aren't so good. Look, you got an A plus still. This is great. How about this one? Beauty is only ugly goes all the way to the bone. I bet you didn't know that was the bad pastor. All right. So next one. Don't jump to, you guys are awesome. Don't judge a book by its uh, and don't assume because it makes sense. Don't fill in the blanket. No, no. If you knew that answer, it's why you need to be at church. All right. And if you didn't know that answer, you should be leading our church. Okay. So uh, those are familiar to us, right? That we have all these different kinds of phrases, and and I believe these phrases endure uh, and kind of kind of stand the test of time for us. Because what we know about our human nature, whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be true of us or not, but what we know is we do tend to, at times, be judgmental. We do tend to, at times, be shallow or assuming, or we look at persons or circumstances or things, and we just jump to a conclusion before we've really registered all of the facts. In fact, even right now in our internet age, uh, much of the internet has been monetized with quick clicks. Uh, so what happens is a lot of news outlets and other organizations, they are rapid to get out information, less being accurate and more just being swift, right? So like, just get a news story out there, we'll check it later if it's right, right? So, so that's kind of the dilemma. There's this rush to judgment without a lot of thoughtfulness. And that is true not just in our world, but it's also true in the Bible, and it's true in the story that we're going to be looking at today. In fact, I think there's a rush to judgment with the characters inside the story, and I think there's a rush to judgment when it comes to us as we read the story. And so this should be fun for us today. So if you want to follow along with us in your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Also, we have an app with notes in there. You can follow along with that as well. As we continue to follow Jesus, who is our scandalous God, and today he's coming across a wee little man that we kind of think we know the story of. But, but I think sometimes in the story, we've assumed more that is there, and that should be fun for us today. So what I want to do right now is kind of prepare our hearts, settle us down a little bit, give you a moment of silence just to kind of pray, get focused in your own space, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into the story of the day. Let's go ahead and do this together. Jesus, it's been our theme throughout this investigation of your life and ministry and good news and kingdom that uh, we've been learning. It's all about depending on you. 
and I pray that we will grow in that more, that I will grow in that more. It's, it's easy in my own intellect or in my own perspectives to make conclusions or assessments that I haven't submitted to you first or I haven't submitted myself to you first to have your heart in those things, to have your eyes to look at a broken and hurting world as you see it. Sometimes I look through my eyes of frustration or kind of quick judgment or frustration and yet I pray that I would have a kingdom heart. I pray that I would be so dependent on you that you begin to shape how I see things, how I see people, and that everything would then be overlaid with a heart to show your good news, your gospel, and your grace to our world. And I pray that's true for all of us. And so as we go into this story that, I, again, I, I think we think we know, maybe there's something else you want us to know in this story. And so I pray that we will all be very pliable and open to what it is you have for us. And so Jesus, we look to you, we certainly need you, and we love you in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right, so we are in Luke chapter 19, and it's an interesting scene because when we were here last week, uh, Jesus was on the road going toward Jericho. And it was in that space that he came across this poor, blind beggar, right? And there was that whole interaction and healing and salvation came to that man that day. But now Jesus is inside the walls of Jericho. And he's going to meet a completely different kind of character. It's a rich, distrusted tax collector. So we keep coming across really interesting figures in the story. So starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho, and and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, we're going to pause right there for a second. Uh, We've come across tax collectors already in Luke, and so we have a sense of kind of who they are, how they're understood by their society, and the bottom line is that they are detested. This is a group of people that, from uh, the perspective of the Jewish population, they just can't stand these individuals because they're traitors, they're extortionists. It's like they're um, informants for a totalitarian regime. That's the way they're sort of understood in their world. And the fact that it says this man had been getting rich in this particular trade would have meant that he was even more hated because oftentimes the way tax collectors would make a lot of their money is that they would charge extra taxes on the individuals, and so it was a heavy tax burden on people. They would kind of, kind of take some off the top for themselves and grow even more rich, and then what they didn't take, they gave to the Roman officials, and that paid for the soldiers that kept the people in kind of oppression, So you as an individual, you're like, man, I have this heavy tax load from these jerk tax collectors, and then they give it to the soldiers who force me to pay more taxes. So from that perspective, you can understand kind of the, I don't know, the social pecking order of where tax collectors fell within their society. Totally despised, right? In fact, even when you read through the Gospels, you see that they were in a category all by, their, all by themselves because you had typically, it'd say, Jesus would come across sinners and tax collectors. It's like they're so bad, you don't even count them as sinners. There's like sinners and then those people. Those really awful, terrible, like just unpatriotic, hate their own kind, greedy, nefarious, terrible people, the tax collectors. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that this particular tax collector, Zacchaeus, his name means righteous one. Like his parents just, they were aiming too high, you know? 
we're going to call him righteous one, and then he becomes the worst of the worst. And it's not just these, the worst of the worst for being a tax collector. Notice what it says. He's the chief tax collector of the region. So he doesn't just have a franchise, right? Like a McDonald's. He has a bunch of McDonald's, right? So he has all these franchises. So he's got this small army of tax collectors and agents working for him. He's like the local IRS, you know? And so he doesn't just have his own booth. He has a bunch of booths everywhere, and all these guys are working for him, and he's got this whole model going on, right? So he's the big guy, the big kahuna. He's like the Al Capone of the region to everybody. Like, this guy's just ripping us off. This guy's back in Rome. This guy is terrible in every single way, and he's grown rich from this particular position. And so he is evil in his world. That's the way they see him. But it seems on this particular day, uh, this Zacchaeus figure has heard about the stories of Jesus, and he hears that Jesus is in town. And, and I'm sure he heard all sorts of stories that were interesting to him. He probably heard about how Jesus has cast out demons, and Jesus has healed the sick, and Jesus has done signs and wonders. But if I'm sitting in Zacchaeus' uh, like, you know, slippers for a minute here, thinking about all the options and all the different things I've heard about this Jesus figure, probably the one title that's most interesting to me is that some people have said, probably with a lot of disdain in their voice, that Jesus has been a friend of tax collectors. It's like, okay, let me get this straight. There's a rabbi out there who represents God, teaches things about God, and he takes the time to become a friend of my kind? See, religion hates my kind. The population hates my kind. Even the sinners call me a tax collector. They don't even want me in their labeling. So there's a person out there that would give my kind the time of day? I mean, that's a pretty impressive idea because religion despises him, rabbis condemn him, the population, they resent him. But maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus would see something different in him. He's not sure, but he goes to take a look. Verse three, right? He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to, but not talk to, all right? So like he just wants to get a glimpse. It does not say that he's like, man, I gotta go and talk to this guy. I gotta investigate this guy. I need to have an interaction with this guy. Maybe he will be my friend. I'm sure he's wondering like, what kind of person accepts a person like me? But he just wants to go take a look. He wants to see what's going on, right? So he climbs up in the tree. He's peering down. He's like, what kind of a person would take a person like my kind? Verse five. What I love about this is, is when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called to him by name, and he said, Zacchaeus, righteous one. That's wild. Quick, come down. I must, be at the I must be a guest in your home today. See, what I love about this is Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus, but Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. So of the crowd of people that are there, and he's up in a tree, he's like, you, there, I know you. And I want to know you more. You have a reputation in this community. You're the chief tax collector of the region. I want to meet with you. Now, here's a fun fact about the Gospels. Uh, this is the only account 
in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus ever self-invites to a home. Never does that happen, right? And, and part of the reason it doesn't happen is because it was considered uncouth to do that. You don't invite yourself over to somebody else's house. Not in that culture. You wait to be invited. And it's the only time he does this, and it's a little bit weird, and even people are like, whoa, Jesus just invited himself over. What's the deal? But he's like, little man, come on down. We're going to your house for like nachos and dos Equis, you know? And it's Dos Equis because Jesus is the most interesting man in the world, so why not have Dos Equis, all right? So, all right. So imagine what's going through this guy's head right now, right? Just rushing through his mind, his little tax-collecting brain. What could Jesus want? What is this all about? What's going to happen next? Well, he doesn't know, but it says in verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So we don't have to guess what he's thinking or feeling. You have it right there, right? He's just pumped about this. He's like, wow, this guy is acknowledging me. He's called me down. He wants to come to my house. And just that act alone is socially impressive, We've talked about this in Luke. To go to a person's home and to dine with them is an action of affirmation, right? So Jesus, by just sitting down with him, is either going to be seen as being contaminated or something different. What Jesus is trying to do is get the population to go, wait, if I'm going to go sit down at this guy's table, I'm going to be in his house, I'm going to be his friend in essence, then I'm saying something about how I think of him. I'm valuing him. I see dignity in him. I see something that I want to accept in him. There's something I want to affirm in his person. Now, again, everybody in culture would be looking at this just like, quick, call the tabloids, you know? Jesus is doing something really, really improper, but, but this is the way of Jesus. He does things upside down and backwards. And so this rabbi calls to a chief tax collector and says, I want to hang out with you. This isn't good PR for Jesus. I'm sure his agent would be very put out by this. And you see this with the next ominous words, but the people. It's always the people, right? But the people. Like Jesus is operating on a completely different level. But understand, it's not just the religious people that are probably going to be bothered by Jesus. And it's not just the patriotic people that can't stand the Roman occupation. They're not the only ones that are going to be bothered here. It actually says all the people. So even the messy people in the crowd, even the people that know their life isn't totally together, they're going to be bothered. Even the disciples of Jesus who have been rolling with him, they still have a bias. They still hate Rome. They think they're going to Jerusalem, so Jesus will be king, and they'll crush Rome. So they're not even thinking, like, this is a good plan. They're like, why is Jesus wanting to go to that dude's house? Everybody in the crowd is going to have a problem. That's why he says, but the people were displeased. He says, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, right? So I love Luke's juxtaposition again. He always loves to make these comparisons. So inside the house, there's praise, but outside, it's just protest, right? The people on the outside who think they have it together can't stand what they see going on as Jesus goes into this house. Now, inside the house, great enthusiasm, excitement, joy, and passion, but outside the house, there's just disdain, and yet that's the way of Jesus. Everything is upside down. Everything is backwards. Everything is scandalous. But then what happens next? This is fascinating to me. And I want you to really like sit up and pay attention right now. This is the part where it gets interesting in ways that we may not anticipate. 
as the crowd is outside grumbling about how dare Jesus affirms this person. It says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, on the surface of the story, right, you go, oh yeah, I know this story. I, I, I know what this guy is doing. But I don't want you to assume too much. I don't want you to judge too much of the book by the cover. And here's what I mean. Uh, as good Protestant boys and girls, we've gone to Sunday school through much of our lives. Uh, we've learned the song, we've learned the story, and from that we kind of go, oh, I know what this is all about. This is his act of repentance. And that's one way that we can read the story, and it's a way that many of us have been taught the story, right? So again, looking at the passage, the way we would understand this is that it was Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will, basically starting today, now that I'm aware that you've received me and I'm overwhelmed by your grace and your generosity and your acceptance, right? Even though I'm sinful and disloyal and an extortionist, everything else, I promise because you've received me and become my friend, I will, starting today, give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will retroactively pay it all back four times full. That's the way we typically kind of understand this unique story. So unlike the rich young ruler who Jesus said, hey, I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor, this guy comes across Jesus, and his name weirdly means righteous one, and he's like, I want to truly be a righteous one for the first time in my life, and so Jesus, I want to make things right. I want to show fruit that proves my repentance, and so I'm going to take this action, do these things, and I'm going to show to you that I'm, I'm a new person, right? That's the way we tend to read the story but we have a problem reading the story that way, right? Matter of fact, here's the problem. It's a grammar problem. And it's not your great grammar, it's the Greek grammar. That's the one that gets in the way. So Luke writes in the Greek language, right? And just like English has rules of grammar, Greek has rules of grammar. And if we have a literal translation of this story, here's what it is. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, look, Lord. And it's not like, look, Lord. Right? He's trying to prove something, show something. It's positive. Oh, I want you to see something about me, Lord. I give, and the Greek is present tense. I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I pay back, present tense, fourfold. In other words, and this is where I want you to pay attention. He, he's not saying, you know what? Um, here's what I plan to do going forward. What he's saying is, Lord, I want you to understand something about me. Here has been my practice for a long time. Here's what I do. I want you to know where I'm coming from. For a long time, I have been giving half of my possessions to the poor. For a long time, I have been paying fourfold when somebody is cheated. This completely changes how we understand the story. Now, we would love to violate the rules of grammar and say, no, I can't be what it is, but that's what it is. And so instead of it being this action of repentance, perhaps our second option is it's a clarification of faithfulness. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I give as a pattern half of my wealth to the poor, and I give back to them as a pattern money when they are cheated. This really changes our understanding of this guy. It changes our understanding of how we're supposed to understand everything that's happening here. And so I want you to track with me here for a second. 
when, when Zacchaeus brings these two topics up, these are the two most highly regarded ideas in the Old Testament, right? The care of the poor and justice, and in this case, for the cheated. This is important to the Old Testament law. Like, if you talk about how often God brings up the poor, 3,000 times, right? So it's a declaration of, here's what's important to me, the poor, and this guy knows it. And when it comes to justice, it is the prevalent theme throughout the Old Testament. God cares about justice. And that is the true sign of somebody that holds to the heritage of Abraham and that they want to bring flourishing to the world, right? So all of that is deeply embedded into the Jewish culture. So from that, we know, according to the law, there are these two elements. When it comes to the poor and giving to the poor, we see in Deuteronomy 14, there is literally a tithe for the poor. Listen to what it says. At the end of the third year, bring the entire tithe, 10% of that year's harvest, and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who receive no allotment of the land, right? So they don't have possessions, and so you take care of the Levites. But the same 10% is also to go to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns. They are to eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your hard work. So when it comes to the poor, this is your tithe to the poor. And when it comes to restitution for those who have been cheated, it says in Numbers chapter 5, if any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty, and they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning to the person what was wronged or what was stolen or what was whatever. And you've got to understand, even when it talks about this idea of cheated, it wouldn't always be intentional. Right? So sometimes it may have been like, you know what, you, you did a deal, and then afterwards you're working your books, and then you figured out, oh, wait, we overcharged, we did something wrong, the scales were off. So it isn't always that it has to be nefarious cheating. It's just anytime there's an awareness, whether you're intending to or not intending to, you need to make it right. And the way you make it right is you give back what was cheated on, and then you give this extra 20% on top of that, right? That's kind of the attitude and idea there. But now we have this rich notorious, sinful chief robber who enforces Roman tyranny. That's the way he's seen by the crowd, by his church, by the people. When it comes to the poor, does he give 10% of what he has? No, he says, I give 50% of everything. And I don't just do it once every three years. My pattern is half of my possessions I give to the poor. That's what I currently do, Jesus. And when it comes to this idea of those who are cheated, he's got this little army of tax collectors that work under him. And it's true, tax collectors were thieves a lot of times. And they would charge people more than they needed to. And what this man is saying is, if I find out that any of my guys have cheated other people, I, out of my own paycheck, make that right. And not with just 20% over cost. Four times the amount people are cheated, I pay back to them. That's who I currently am. See, that changes the story. That alters how we see this man. Because, see, here's the deal. Most people would think, you know what? I live to the letter of the law. I give 10% every three years. I pay back cost plus 20. If I've made a mistake, I'm godly. What we see in this man is he's like, you know what? No, I understand the spirit of the law, Lord. I, I know what the real heart of God is to the poor. I know the real heart of God toward justice. And so I display true giving. I 
want to dispense actual justice to those who are wrong. And he's not bragging here. I want you to understand that. Because if he was bragging or whatever else, Jesus would have called him on the spot for that. Like, oh, you think you're awesome. I just chewed out a rich young ruler up the road. How about we deal with you now? You know, it's like, it's not what happens at all. In fact, we're going to see the scene is very different. Here's what I was taking note of this week as I was going through this and, and just pondering the, the, the nuance of this new understanding of the story. Uh, this man is doing all of this even though his rege- religion rejects him. People won't accept him. They exclude him. They slander him. He can't be a part of the synagogue. He can't go to the temple. He's ritually unpure. He's undesired and unwanted. He has no kind of uh, social acceptance to be doing this. There's no incentive where he's like, okay, I got to look like I'm keeping up appearances. He has a rotten appearance to everybody. And he does the right thing. Behind the scenes where he'll get no credit except in the eyes of God, he's going above and beyond to do this. Now, some could say, well, then why is he doing this unsavory job? Well, listen, if he didn't do it, somebody would do it. But he's doing it, and then he's saying, okay, as I do it, and I become wealthy, I'm going to take half of that. I'm going to give it to those in need. I'm going I'm to redeem this wealth. And if I find that anybody's getting, like, shafted by somebody and getting cheated, I'm going to go way out of my way to make sure that they're taken care of. Right? I'm going to sacrifice myself, even, to make that happen. That's ownership. And so what he's saying is, Lord, look, I know how people see me. I, I know, Lord, the stereotypes. I know the political posturing. I know that people see me as ungodly. I know that. But my name means righteous one. And I try to do this as best as I understand. I try to do what the law says and far beyond it even though I know nobody will accept me for it. Nobody will give me credit for it. In fact, it'll just continue to be like, oh, he's rich. He's just socking it away for himself. He's all about this world, and he's not about the future. All that he goes, what he's saying is, Lord, I am not what people say I am. But nobody will give me the time of day to hear me out. They've just written me off. You know why? Because we judge books by their covers. We make snap judgments, and we decide the beauty is only skin deep. See, we're all good at that. In fact, even reading the story, I think it's fascinating that as we as readers come to the story, do you notice who we align with? We align with the crowd, right? So the crowd says, he's a notorious sinner, and we're like, he must be. Until he starts telling Jesus his story. If there's any lesson, even right there, it's, you know what? It's so easy to make a snap decision without hearing somebody's story. It's so easy to conclude, we know everything about a person because you know what, we heard a rumor. Or we decided their label is the wrong label for us. Like, all of that is the risk, and that's what's kind of been going on in this man's life. But he says, Jesus, here's here's who I really am. Here's what I'm really doing. Here's what I really care about. And again, he's not bragging. He's just openly sharing. This is the person that I actually am. I'm not the person that they claim me to be. It made me realize that, you know what, I never know what God is doing in people. And equally, I never know what people are really doing for God behind the scenes. I just don't know. I'm not God, I don't know everything. Especially with people that I might see as unsavory or as an outsider or as a sinner. I just don't know. 
So what does Jesus say next? Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be what? A true son of Abraham. They thought the rich young ruler was a true son of Abraham. They thought the religious leaders were a true son of Abraham. If you were gonna be a true son of Abraham, you tow the religious line, you follow the law to the letter, but now this man shows the spirit of the law, does something altogether indifferent and gets no payback in this world for it. Just gets more like thrown under the bus. And Jesus is like, oh, this is what my kingdom's about. Oh, this is what a true son of Abraham is all about. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I want you to notice he doesn't say it to Zacchaeus. He says it to everybody else. Notice that? He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your home today. He says, hey, everybody, look at this. Note this, watch this. This is the stuff of my kingdom. This is the stuff you don't expect. This is the stuff that is unconventional, upside down, backwards, and scandalous. But this man, Zacchaeus, is actually more of a righteous one than probably everybody looking on in self-righteousness judging this righteous one. That's why Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. He's saying this is a person that's been seeking God's heart for a long time and doing it the best he understood how and that's the kind that I'm looking for. In fact, in Luke's sequel, the book of Acts, there is a similar story. It almost functions in tandem to it, um, where it was just as the Holy Spirit was starting to say like, hey, there's this whole group of people. They're called Gentiles. You think they're dirty. You think they're sinners. You think they're unclean. You think they're unredeemable. You don't want them a part of your group, but I want you to, to realize that, that I'm working there. And Peter, the apostle, is like, whoa, no, no, man, I'm not going to Gentiles. They're like tax collectors. And then he goes into this vision state and God has to tell him, listen, what I declare clean, you better realize is clean. And so from that, he wakes up and he goes to the home of a man named Cornelius and you find out that Cornelius was the seeker of God. He wanted to know God's heart. He wanted to honor God as best as he understood. And because his heart was already in that space, it's like now salvation comes to this house this day. You are totally primed for this because you're already doing the things of what a kingdom person would do. You're just entering into that final stage of what this is all about as you enter into this friendship with Jesus. That's exactly this man here. He was one of the few, really, who was doing it right. And it just reminds, again, that Jesus' whole mission is to seek and save lost things. And not just Zacchaeus is a lost thing, but Zacchaeus is doing the thing of seeking and trying to rescue and redeem lost things, forgotten things, cheated things, broken things, poor things. Right? Zacchaeus understands this Jesus probably better than even Jesus' own disciples understand at this point. And understand, the story doesn't conclude by saying, and Zacchaeus became a plumber. He probably stayed a tax collector, chief of tax collectors. There's nothing that would point in any direction other than that. But he stays a tax collector who brings care to the poor, and he brings justice to the cheated, and he does this because he's a friend of a dude named Jesus who's a friend of tax collectors and sinners and other broken types and he befriends them in such a way that he then redeploys them to be like him 
to care like him, to invest like him, to see people like him, not through the lens of, oh, how are they bad? How are they wrong? How are they off? How are they, they awful in some way? But rather, how can all of these different individuals eventually be a friend of Jesus and do the same stuff that Jesus does? See, that's what we're called to. Right? We're called to embody and embrace the same disposition in Jesus and to value what Jesus most values and to value the types of people that Jesus most values. And sometimes what Jesus most values are the people that we will tend to least value because we go, they don't fit, they're not right, they're too sinful, they're too whatever. And you never know what God is doing in them. And you never know what God is doing through them. And so the story reminds us of the need for our own humility our own perpetual grace and our need to just constantly be thinking like, all right, Jesus, help me to see the world as you see it. Help me to bring dignity and value and care to those that others might write off. Help me to not be self-righteous, but truly like a Zacchaeus, a true righteous one who even behind the scenes and nobody sees it, I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to bring good. I'm trying to sow flourishing into the world because that was the promise that was given to Abraham that we are here to bring blessing in ways that it may not even be seen. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I love how sometimes you rock our world with a story that we think we know and then we find out we don't know maybe what's in the story. So often we, we read these things and we go, oh, I know that one. I know the song. I'm moving on. And then we find that embedded in there is a treasure, unforeseen, unexpected, just as much as people can be messy or stereotyped in a certain way, and, and yet there's a beautiful story to be seen in their life if we just let go of our own biases, our own assumptions, our own judgments. Help us to be like you where every book that you came across, you wanted to know their story. You didn't just judge their cover, you wanted to know their story. You wanted to understand. You wanted them to share with you who they were. And then from that, you recognize the value in that. We see that whether it's a woman that's had multiple husbands and you meet her at a well, or whether that's a woman that's caught in adultery and you come to her defense. There's so many stories where you stop and you invest and you care and you show the value that is there. And I pray that that would be the kind of people that we are in your name and for your fame and that we would be those types of everyday missionaries so that people could see you more clearly in, clearly in us. We thank you, Jesus, and we need you. Help us to see with your eyes in your name. Amen.